Welcome to the Absite Smackdown Podcast. We'll talk clinical scenarios, interesting Absite facts, and interesting general surgery knowledge. Now, let's get to it. Hi guys, and welcome back to Absite Smackdown Podcast. This is your host, Jessica, and with me today is Dr. David Kashmir. Hey Jessica, good morning. Good morning, Dr. David. So, I was listening to some of our past podcasts, and my favorite, the five kind of silly or useless absite facts that we talked about, something in it stood out to me, and that was the Father Gill sign. And it made me wonder, because it's something that we maybe don't use as much today because of CAT scans and ultrasounds and just technology, what other facts or signs do we not use as much anymore? And so I was hoping you could talk about that. There are so many of them. There are so many named signs. And when you told me you wanted to do this podcast, I looked back at some of the lists I have of these named surgical signs. You can also find some on the web. And I'm going to tell you, there are so many. And I'll be straight with you. There are many I had never even heard of. It's really interesting. Before we get too into it, though, I want to tell you that back when I was a medical student and resident, I wondered how good these signs are. Uh, Are they so useful as tests that you don't need all the fancy imaging studies and and everything? Or is it that the reason we use such fancy imaging studies or now routine imaging studies and other technology is because these signs aren't so good? So I got really into this whole thing. So what, how did you test these theories? How did you figure it out? Well, I can't say I figured everything out, but I can say that many of the signs that we're gonna talk about uh, have been studied. And a lot of people use this thing called the Kappa statistic. And I know this one isn't about statistics of this podcast, but the Kappa statistic is the inter-rater reliability of a sign or test or anything. Meaning how likely two people are to agree on the presence or absence of something, not owing the chance alone. In other words, not getting lucky, but really there being a difference there. Oh, okay. So can you give us a scenario on that? Yeah, when I talk with uh, medical students and sometimes surgeons and surgical residents about this on rounds, uh, I have a really simple thought experiment, and here's how it goes. Uh, Imagine there's a room with 100 people, and I'm going to tell you in this room there are 50 people who have uh, a certain type of heart finding called an S3. Okay, And um, what we're going to do is uh, I'm going to give the resident, student, um, whatever, a stethoscope, and say, go in that room and listen to everybody, and come on out and tell me how many people have this finding. So they're really good. They go in, they listen, they come out, they say, Dave, there are 50 people in that room who have this finding. And I say, okay, well, let me go in. I may not be as good with a stethoscope anymore. And uh, I go in there, and I listen, and I say, yeah, 50 people. So if you look at the face of it, Jessica, we both agree that out of this 100 people, 50 have this finding. It looks like we completely agree, right? on the face of it. But what the Kappa statistic does is it shows us how many of those people are the same 50 people. What's the overlap in the group that they have versus the group that I have? So the Kappa statistic kind of captures that. And a typical Kappa statistic that's good um, will tell us, you know, is useful often clinically. And it turns out many of the signs we're going to talk about do not have a useful Kappa statistic. Okay, so which signs do have them and which ones don't? Well, it turns out that many of the uh, physical exam findings in the cardiac exam uh, do not have 
um, a lot of utility. Uh, in other words, a lot of the things we listen for on a heart exam when we're talking to residents, those don't, uh, or when we're teaching medical students, those do not um, have a, a lot of utility. But some do. Present, I use the S3 in our little example. I use that because that's actually a very good one um, in terms of physical signs for the Kappa statistic. And uh, S3, presence or absence of an S3. And an S3 is associated uh, with heart failure. Um, so that's one, and we're pretty far away from uh, surgery here, but uh, the headline on that is that the Kappa statistic uh, for most things in the cardiac exam is really poor, showing that people can't agree uh, that there's a real difference or really tell these subtle signs that we learn in medical school. But presence or absence of an S3, that's one we can really get. So that's a, that's a, physical, ex that's a physical exam one that kind of many people can relate to. Okay, so what do you feel, or from your studies, what signs did you think were the most accurate? Well, um, I mean, first let's talk about a lot of the ones we hear about. Mm -hmm. uh, they all have a really cool historic, uh, there's a story behind each of these signs. Uh, so, for example, Shvastik sign uh, and Trousseau sign are two associated with hypercalcemia. Uh, rather, I'm sorry, hypocalcemia low serum calcium. And the story of these was that, as it was told to me, and you know, these stories are never um, perfect. These like little history things we get on around, it's always more complex than what we were told. Like a game of telephone, how it starts at one and by the time it gets around, it's a little bit different. It is, and I saw this uh, particular one after I was told about it, I saw it in a book called The History of Surgery. But you never know, you never know what it really was, but here's how it goes. Shavastics and Trousseau's are associated with low serum calcium. And the signs are, for Shavastics, you tap over the facial nerve at the tragus and uh, the, facial, the facial muscles twitch. That's Shavastic sign. And Trousseau's is inflation of a blood pressure cuff on the arm and it makes this what's called carpopedal spasm. These are both associated with low serum calcium, hypocalcemia. It turns out uh, that they're also associated with uh, low serum magnesium, hypomagnesemia, which is not as commonly known, um, but gets tested. It's interesting, what was on my ab site for these is uh, Shavastic sign and Trousseau sign and somehow hypomagnesemia. And it's just not typically how we think about it, but it's because of the co-transport effect and other effects of, uh, of magnesium on, um, on calcium. And what else is kind of interesting about it is uh, the story behind these, um, these signs. The Absite Smackdown podcast is based on the best-selling review book, Absite Smackdown. The only Absite review with an entire video review course included. Visit AbsiteSmackdown.com and pick it up today. Mm -hmm. And it goes like this. It turns out that Bill Roth, a very famous surgeon, European surgeon who's known for Bill Roth one and two procedures, uh, which are talked about all the time as we teach surgery for ulcer disease and other things. These are kind of foregut procedures that he came up with. Bill Roth also used to take out thyroids. And we all use this clamp called a Coker clamp. Uh, Theodore Coker, it's K-O-C-H-E-R, was sort of an apprentice or worked with Bill Roth, this other very well-known famous surgeon. 
And the coker has this clamp that has these teeth on the end, and it's this kind of a long clamp. It's like almost a straight Kelly clamp uh, for the residents and staff listening. And this clamp with these teeth was actually used for thyroid surgery, which nowadays we really wouldn't think of it really for thyroid surgery, but that's what he used it for. And what happened was Bill Roth would take out the thyroid from these patients for different reasons, and then some of them would have tetany, these horrible muscle contractions where they would just tense up. You get like this profound cramping and you can't move and it's terrible. Not many, but some. And Theodore Coker kind of looked at what Bill Roth was doing and kind of looked at the thyroids that came out and said, what are these like yellow, these kind of yellow fatty things? Well, it turns out those are the parathyroids that we didn't really know existed and those secrete parathyroid hormone. And Bill Roth was taking them out. I mean, we didn't really know they were there. And uh, sometimes they do come out when you take thyroid out. It's possible they can be in the substance of the thyroid and all this other stuff, but you don't usually take out all four with modern technique with how we do it. It's pretty unusual. So uh, Shavastics and Trousseau's were uh, no, uh, known. Um, they would be the signs associated with this hypocalcemia. And the reason why is parathyroid hormone antagonizes another hormone called calcitonin. Calcitonin shifts calcium uh, into the bones and parathyroid hormone uh, antagonizes that. It brings calcium out. So um, the, the removal of the thyroid takes out parathyroid hormone. Patients could have uh, anything from hypercalcemia um, uh, transiently, which is pretty unusual, to typically uh, unantagonized calcitonin. And so because there's no parathyroid hormone, all this calcium would shift into the bones and um, patients would have hypocalcemia. They'd have schwastics and trousseaux. So all these signs are like wrapped up in these historic, you know, these famous stories and all this interesting stuff. Um, that wasn't how those signs are discovered, but that's part of how they relate to us in surgery. And each of these crazy signs that we're going to mention have something like that. So bottom line is uh, many are wrapped up in this history of the appendix and the history of uh, uh, thyroid surgery, etc. But nowadays we only rarely use them in management. Well, which one? Because now you have me so interested. What do you think? Which factor sign do you think has the coolest story that goes along with it? Well, I already, I tipped my hand. I thought kind of the most interesting one was the Chivastics and Trousseaux. <laughs> <clears throat> but I'll tell you, um, you asked me, the one that set me off was which ones are useful and which ones aren't. Mm -hmm. And around the appendix, um, some of the ones we still teach routinely that are used routinely include McBurney's Point Tenderness. McBurney's Point Tenderness is, you know, there's this thing called McBurney's Point. Uh, along a line drawn from the um, umbilicus uh, toward the right lower quadrant, toward the anterior superior iliac spine, about two-thirds of the way down there uh, is this spot. And if you have tenderness at McBurney's point, particularly when we let go, it may get worse, uh, in that right lower quadrant, that is classic for appendicitis. Then there are Rovzing sign and psoas sign uh, with manipulating the leg, um, and those are ones we still routinely teach. Uh, and many people asserted when I was training, you really don't need a CAT scan to diagnose appendicitis. But even with all those great signs and a story that fits, 
and a high what's called pretest probability of appendicitis. Every once in a while, you'd find another diagnosis in there, like a Meckel's diverticulum or something else. And nowadays, uh, and surgeons were even shaking their head at this when I was, and, and sometimes in the literature still shake their head at this, when I was a resident, many people get CAT scans in the ER as they come through. You almost can't stop it. Um, so the classic appendicitis in the classic age group has a lot of physical exam findings that we still routinely teach, but they don't work well for older patients with appendicitis who are functionally immunosuppressed or morbidly obese patients, which we're seeing more and more uh, in many age groups. So, you know, the coolest story I think is Chivostics and Trousseau's. Uh, ones you see used most include McBurney's Point Tenderness and uh, like a Rovzing Psoas, uh, but even those are not always great. I think it's funny, I never knew the name for that, but I remember just as a young child, if you went in for stomach pain at the at school, the nurse would would press down there, and when she'd let go, did, she would ask you, does it hurt more when I press down or let go? Yeah. And I never realized what she was doing until this moment as you explained it, that that, that was a sign that maybe she was looking for appendicitis. The Absite Smackdown Podcast. Bringing you the best for your absite review. Yeah, I mean, yeah. <clears throat> and it turns out that even sometimes when you push in the right lower quadrant and you let go and it's worse and they have this subtle peritoneal inflammation, even then it's not really, a, it's not appendicitis. But in, in the age group that, uh, you know, 20 year old male or something like that, um, it's a lot more likely to be appendicitis than many other things. So that's kind of why these work. Uh, but nowadays, just like we said with Father Gill's sign, the power of these tests that we have to discriminate between one thing or another thing, to, to appreciate the difference between one thing and another thing, is a lot more powerful. Um, it's really interesting, you know, when you're teaching first-year residents and then later-year residents, or the first year resident goes in, pushes on the patient's belly. They definitely have right lower quadrant tenderness. Uh, and then they leave the room. They tell their senior resident. The senior resident comes in and pushes on it and says, no, that's not right lower quadrant tenderness. You know, your nail just dug into them or you did something else. That's, to me, every time I saw that, and you see that a bunch, that's a kappa statistic phenomenon. That's two people, one who's clearly much more experienced and, you know, often is probably correct but two people disagreeing on a sign being present or absent. And more powerful tests are ones that make it such that you look at that and you go, oh, there's a clear difference. I can see it from across the room. Do you understand what I mean by that? I do, yes. Yeah. Hi, it's Jessica, host of Absite Smackdown Podcast. Follow the hashtag Project Smackdown team on LinkedIn, Insta, and Facebook. On LinkedIn, check out our page, Absite Smackdown, on Facebook, we're at Absite Smackdown. And follow us on Insta for a new Absite fact and photo every day, where we're at daily.absite.fact. Hashtag Absite Smackdown. All right, well, again, it's always a pleasure to have you in the studio. And this is a really interesting topic on, you know, different signs and backstories and I love when we can just have those kind of conversations and learn something new. So thanks for coming in today. Thanks so much and as we part ways I just want to share with everybody you know we talked about a couple interesting signs uh, maybe four or five. There are so many 
And, you know, when you and I were talking about this podcast, we were deciding, do we go through each sign? Do we, how many stories do we tell or what do we do? So what I want to do before everybody goes is just give them some of the other resources for signs. Mm -hmm. Wikipedia actually is kind of fun and entertaining for this. Okay. Um, but there are lots of resources uh, online. If you do a Google search for uh, surgical signs, lots of stuff will come up. There's a website, medchrome.com slash major slash surgery slash important dash signs dash surgery. That'll bring up a list, which is one of the best ones I've seen for different name signs. You know, we had prominent ones that are used clinically that we didn't talk about, like raccoon eyes, battle sign, these signs you see in trauma that are actually really useful for different uh, diagnoses like basal or skull fracture, and et cetera. So s don't take the message from this that all these physical signs are historic interest only and not too useful. Sometimes if you're in a rush, you don't have time to get the big fancy test. Okay. And to learn more about it, if you have a personal interest, uh, there's something called the odds ratio, which talks about the odds on someone having a disease when they have a finding with a finding versus the odds on somebody having a disease when they don't. And there's just so much to this that I think really helps with decision-making. I think this kind of considering this is sort of a pathway to teaching surgical residents, good decision-making. How powerful are these signs? Where do they fit in your decision-making and when they should, they change your mind for what diagnosis a patient has or how you should act. So I just wanted to close with that. I really appreciate the time today. So many cool stories around these physical signs. Well, like you said, you gave the links. You can look up yourself if you want more information. Maybe we'll write a blog on it. I don't know. But again, thanks for coming in. And everybody, please remember, hashtag AbSightsBackDown. Thanks for listening to the Absight Smackdown podcast. Visit us at absitesmackdown.com for more great absite facts.